You know, the first, the first rule of holes, Daniel, is when you find yourself in one, quit digging. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be back with you this evening. Some of you know me, others of you have seen your faces for the first time, but it's a joy to be with you because it really is a rare thing to find a group that is committed to God and his word in this world as you are. And I say that as one who pre-COVID travels 120,000 miles a year in an airplane all over the world, training pastors how to study and preach the word in some of the most difficult places. And it is a rare thing. And you have something very, very special here. As a result of my job, I do oftentimes, I am the guest speaker. And one, one time, after I was done speaking, someone in the audience came up to me and began to share with me this story of how at their ministry, it was a parachurch ministry, and they always oftentimes have guest speakers, and he and his little group of friends would get a list of the, who the guest speakers were gonna be for the year. And they said, he told me that he goes, every year we have lots of great guest speakers, but there's always one that tends to fall a little bit behind everybody else. Just not, hasn't quite perfected their craft, just doesn't quite connect with the crowd. And so we place bets as to who that's going to be. And I just wanted to let you know I picked you. And he goes, and tonight when I saw you shuffle up with your little pot belly and goatee and get up to the podium, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I got the winner this year. <laughs> I'm just kidding, none of that's true. But I, I'm telling that story because I wanna shift our focus off of me, the guest speaker, and I would like for our hearts and our minds for the next half an hour or so to be squarely on Christ and what he has to say to us tonight. And I wanna set the stage a little bit before we get into the text and to talk about the fact that all of us have a pre-understanding that we use that filters everything that we hear and we do. Everything that you've learned from the moment you were born until now creates your personalized pre-understanding. And that clouds the way that we see things, especially when it comes to the things of God. Now, some of the things that we've learned growing up uh, have been helpful and are useful at helping us to understand God, others or not. And so many of us are gonna come into tonight's message with a pre-understanding that is colored as to who it is that God finds acceptable. Things that have been said to you, maybe by a religious leader, someone in, in authority in the church, maybe a parent, maybe a family member, has this app running in the background of your head now that's part of your pre-understanding that says, God could never accept me. And so, and many of you who are in the kingdom also might have had something similar. And even though you're in the kingdom now, you struggle. Can God really use me? And, and you're holding back. And Jesus is going to have something to say to that in our text tonight. So we need to make an agreement before we start. As we study God's word together tonight, the agreement is that whatever God's word says 
is what I'm going to believe and act on. Deal? Even if what I see in the text tonight dramatically disagrees with the app that's running in my head telling me something different. That framework, if it disagrees with the text, needs to be remodeled, and I've been praying for you this week that you would allow the Spirit to remodel your framework if it needs remodeling, okay? So I'm gonna have you open your Bibles or your apps to John's Gospel, chapter four. This is the story of the woman at the well. She is a Samaritan. Jesus is in Samaria. And it's an interesting relationship, Samarians and Israelites. They do not like each other. Just a little bit of historical background. The, the, The area of Samaria is where Babylon came and conquered and hauled Israel away. They then brought in all kinds of people because some people were left behind, the ones they didn't want. You know, if you've read, you guys studied Daniel at the retreat, right? Daniel was part of that group that got hauled away and re-educated to be leaders in the new regime. Well, the people that were left behind, they still needed to have the garbage taken out and, you know, the milk delivered and all that type of stuff. So they brought in other people and they intermarried. And so you have this syncretism of worship of Yahweh and worship of foreign gods, and that's in the land of Samaria. Eventually, the Samarians because they were looked down upon by Israel, according to the law, they were unclean, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And so they would have to have their own place to worship. Well, somewhere around 128 BC, the Jews came and burned the temple to the ground. So they obviously had not read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, not too long after that, the Samaritans, they go on the eve of the Passover feast, where all of Israel is commanded to travel from all over the known world back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and they decided to go on a little expedition. They snuck into the temple area at night and spread around bones of the dead everywhere, defiling the place, so that Israel, was, it was impossible for them to celebrate the Passover. So you can see how much they loved each other. And so this is the relationship between these two. In fact, here's a map of of Israel. And you'll notice that it's not there. (laughs) There it is. You can see Judea. And just up and to the right a little bit is Jerusalem. And Galilee is straight north in the purple. And the direct route from Jerusalem to Galilee goes through Samaria. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rabbis, they would go out and around through Perea, cross the Jordan, cross the Jordan again, back to Galilee, just to avoid Samaria. Because they didn't want to have anything to do with them, they didn't want to touch them, they didn't want to have to buy anything from them. They just, they don't really, they don't like each other at all. Jesus, for whatever reason we're going to see in our text, decides to cut straight through. It's his direct route. He cuts straight through and finds himself at a well talking to this Samaritan woman. So just some background that will help us think through some observations that we're going to make. Now, I want to speak to the leaders for just a moment. We've been learning together how to study our Bibles. And there's a, there's a step in that process 
that we need to do that's the most important step? Anybody remember what that is? Pray. Careful Bible study is an exercise in prayer. Sermon prep is an exercise in prayer. And as we study together tonight, it needs to be an exercise in prayer. So let me pray. Father, we have gathered together here tonight not to hear from a guest speaker, but we have gathered together to hear from God. So Father, would you speak truth to our hearts and change us, change our understanding of you so that we might not be the same person walking out of here tonight that walked in. Put a spring in our step because we understand who you are better because of what you have said to us. For Christ's glory we ask this, amen. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was, uh, I'm sorry. Now when Jesus had learned, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus, anytime anything's gonna get in the way of his plan of getting to the cross, he just tends to move on. We see that in the Gospels a lot. That's happened here. He's heading through Samaria, and he's weary, and he's, it's about the sixth hour, which on our time clock is 12 noon. It's the middle of the day. And so it is, the stage has been set as to where he is and what's been going on. The disciples are gonna head off into town to get food, and Jesus is left by himself by this well. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. It's fascinating to me, as we make observations of what's going on in this text, that we have Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of the known universe, putting himself in a position where he needs help from this Samaritan woman. Seems to be a part of his evangelism strategy. He asked her, hey, could you give me a drink? We're gonna find out a lot about her story here, and it's interesting that he doesn't, he doesn't attack her. He doesn't take her to task on some of these issues. He just says, hey, could you help me? Well, she's stunned. 
because she knows their history. She's like, how is it that you, a Jew and a man, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking for a drink? See, Jews didn't share the same drinking vessels. This just is not done. And she can't believe what she's being asked. And so she's right to challenge him on that. What, what is going on? But if you knew, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Doesn't say that he might. Doesn't say if you get your act together first, then I'll do this for you. If you knew and asked, I would do this for you. Jesus seems to be quoting Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. And in that text, it says this, it'll be on the screen. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's our tendency, isn't it? When I wanna be fulfilled, I create my own cistern to put what I think is gonna satisfy the thirst of my soul in it. And Jeremiah is saying to them, to Israel back then, you've forsaken me, I am the fountain of living waters, and Jesus is now saying to this Samaritan woman, hey, if you ask me for living water, I'll give it to you. He's making this connection that he is the fulfillment that he is this living water, that he is God. And so it sets up this tension. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone, who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And we have a contrast. Jesus, in this text, he's talking about a spiritual reality of this living water that he is and that he offers to her. And she, at this point, completely misses it, going, well, let me have that water so I don't have to come out here every day at noon to collect water. And it begs the question, why is she coming at noon? We're gonna find out. It's not normal for a woman to go to travel anywhere alone and to go and do this task by herself in the heat of the day. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Ah, there it is. That's why she's here at the well at noon. She is a social outcast because of her promiscuousness. In fact, if you go read um, to Leviticus 18, 
she should be taken to the city gate and stoned to death because of her lifestyle. And so here Jesus is now a rabbi teaching with her and he confronts her with this grievous lifestyle of hers, her cisterns that she's been trying, she's looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places and he confronts her with that. Now I don't know about you, but I, I don't, when someone confronts my sin, I don't like to talk about it. I like to deflect and change the subject. And so does she, take a look. <laughs> She says, um, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Because <laughs> you just told me everything about me and I just met you, okay? So, all right. Hey, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where our people ought to worship. See the deflection? Let's not talk about what I should be stoned for. I know the law, I know, I know, I know. But let's talk about where the proper temple is instead. Since I got a rabbi here, let's just, let's just change the topic. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, that is the Jews, what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he is who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And so she changes the topic to the temple, and I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus said, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He just declared the temple obsolete. The day's coming, an hour is coming. Well, when is that? If you go back in the Gospel of John, when he turned the, wine, or the water into wine, he gets upset with his mother. He says, my hour has not yet come. But now he says, the hour is coming where the whole temple system is gonna be obsolete. And when you get to his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, the hour has come, glorify the Son as he heads to the cross. The hour that he's talking about in this text to this woman that she doesn't know yet, but we know because we got the whole letter, is his death and resurrection. When that happens, everything will change, and it won't matter on what mountain we worship because it will be in spirit and truth that you will worship me. And then he said to her, verse 28, I who speak to you am he. Some of your translations will say, I who speak to you, I am. Which, for those of you who have been studying your Bibles for a while, I am is the name that God declared for himself to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus says to this woman, I am the I am from Moses. Your God is standing in front of you. Do you see the love and compassion of Christ? He doesn't care about the social norms, about talking to women or not, or Samaritan or Jew 
or any of that. He is intentionally cutting through Samaria, setting this stage for us to see that it doesn't matter. In fact, I think John is making the point because back in chapter three, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, uh, he said to Nicodemus, In uh, 3, 17 and 18, you can just look back a chapter. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. See, the original readers, when reading this story, would be like, yeah, condemn her. John already told us, he didn't come to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And if you jump down to verse 36, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It says, whoever believes. Really? The original readers would have been reading chapter three going, really, anybody can come? Anybody's acceptable? And just in case there's any confusion, John inserts this story about this Samaritan woman with this lifestyle who is a complete outcast who has to come gather water at noon by herself because she can't go with the rest of the ladies in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening because they won't have anything to do with her. And so in her shame, she comes alone to the well and she finds her God. And he says, if you would ask me, I will give you living water that wells up in you until eternal life. Do we believe that he's telling the truth? Well, just then, perfect timing, guys, the disciples come back from their Jimmy John's run and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. This isn't done. But no one said, who do you seek? And that's kind of interesting, like why would they ask that? I had to do some research. It's an idiom, and it was a common phrase that servants would ask the master. If a servant came into the house, into the master's house, they would say, what do you seek, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? That's what they're saying. They just got back from the Jimmy John's run, and they see him talking to this woman, they're like, uh, you want us to get rid of her for you? What do you want us to do? That's what they're at. That's what they expect. Well, they don't say it out loud. It's just what they're thinking. Because it says no one said it. <laughs> but they're thinking. Or why are you talking with her? So they just default to silence. So the woman left her jar, which is interesting. She came to the well to satisfy her thirst, her physical thirst, and she runs back to the village without it because she has found a thirst that has satisfied her soul. She's found, found a source of living water that has satisfied the thirst of her soul. And the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town, and they were coming to him. John's turning all the social norms on its head, because now this woman, who Jesus shouldn't have been talking to in the first place, becomes an evangelist, and a very effective one. Notice all the, all the great scripture she's quoted. Come meet this guy. 
Because the words that he's given me, he's told me everything that I've, that I've done. And he's telling me things about the temple and other things that are amazing. Come, come hear him. Come hear from him. This is another reality that is part of John's gospel, and that is the word. 3.36, if those who don't obey what Jesus said, that's an issue. Chapter 3, verse 41, it's because of his word. Uh, chapter 5.25, hear his voice. Um, and on and on and on it goes throughout this letter. It's, it's about the word. It's about listening to the word. It's about listening to what Jesus has said. There's another thing that's going on here that I think is part of the bigger picture that helps us start to make sense on why this story was included in the first place. You see, when Jesus first talk, starts talking to her about this living water, she doesn't understand. Jesus is talking about spiritual realities. She thinks he's talking about physical realities, real, actual water. The disciples are about to have a similar problem. It's a pattern that repeats. Notice what happens here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, hey, who, who got street tacos and snuck them to Jesus? Right? Has anyone brought him something to eat? Who did it? Which one of you guys did it? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There is Christ's mission statement, why he came to this earth. What is it again? I have come, right? My, uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And when he sends them out at the end, it's the same mission statement that you and I are now commanded to be on. Our job is to go out and to do the will of the Father who sent him, who has sent us, and to accomplish his work in the world. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. He's, he's, normally it takes four months from the time they plant until the harvest, but here he's saying it's happening at the same time. And we see this actually in the book of Amos, chapter nine, verse 13. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Amos is prophesying that when Messiah comes, that the sowing and reaping will be happening at the same time. And Jesus is saying, that's what is happening in front of you. You think I need food? I'm not talking about needing Jimmy John's. I am talking about the spiritual realities that are going on. And my food, what gives me fulfillment, what satisfies me is doing the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. Nicodemus in the previous chapter, the one, the, Nick at night, right? I mean, that's not where it came from, but that fits. Nick at night comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how do I get back into my mother's room? How does this work? Again, Jesus is talking about spiritual realities, and people are missing it. 
He's not talking about it. He's talking about the spirit and the spiritual realities that are all around us. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, look. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the scriptures came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed, not uh, believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It is his word that transformed them, transforms them. So John, as he's laying out this gospel, is weaving these threads of the importance of his word and listening to Jesus, and and he's trying to open everyone's eyes to the spiritual realities around them and the spiritual realities that are about to come when he heads to Calvary. And I think it behooves us to ask ourselves, why is it? that I think that I can go through life without making his word a priority. Well, Jesus isn't here physically anymore. How do I listen to him? The Spirit has recorded it in his word in the Bible for us. It's not something that we just check off our, our a box, and go, okay, I did my quiet time today. I mean, how boring, shoot me in the head right now if that's what we're doing. But if I understand that my pre-understanding, my framework is flawed, and Jesus can help me iron out the wrinkles in my beliefs about myself and about him. In my D group today, just this afternoon, we were praying that God would make our hunger for his word to be just the same as our hunger for lunch. I haven't missed lunch in a long time. God, would you make it so that I can't get through a day without satisfying my hunger to hear from you? What if we were to stop listening to the mainstream media and social media and unsubscribe from some of our streaming apps and stop listening to what the world says, how things function. Because if that was the case, Jesus never would have talked to this woman. But if instead we look and say, no, Jesus doesn't care what color you are, what ethnicity you are, what your religious background is, what your social economic standing is, he doesn't care. He comes to anyone, and anyone who will receive him and listen to him can have eternal life anyone, and I don't care what someone else has said to you, they were wrong. Remember our little agreement when we started? Whatever the text says, that's what we're gonna walk out of here going with. And there's another spiritual reality. There's a demonic realm 
that right now in some of your ears is speaking to you, don't listen to this guy. With what you've done and what I know about you, there's no way Christ could accept you. Look at the text. Anyone who comes to him can have eternal life. That means you. Praise God, because it means me too. Some of you get to know my story. It's amazing. So those of you, by way of application, who don't know God, he will accept you. He has said so. He has demonstrated it through the story with this woman. He says, if you ask me, I will give you living water. Ask right now. For those of us in this room who do know God, we need to listen to his word. And we need to look at this pattern that John is building in his gospel about the spiritual realities that are all around us and recognize that he is at work and there are amazing spiritual things happening all around us all the time. And if we are so consumed with listening to other sources and not listening to the king of the universe, we'll miss it and we won't understand what he's saying. All of us need to tune in to the spiritual realities all around us. And we do that by listening to his word. And for those of you who are in Christ, here's the spiritual reality from this text. Because of Christ's great love for you, he has given you living water. You have become a well of living water. And like the Samaritan woman, once she became a well, she went and began satisfying the thirst of her entire community. He said that it will well up until eternal life. That is the spiritual reality. Once Christ has turned you into a well, the well will well up and you have what will satisfy the thirst of everyone around you. And you have the great privilege of saying, I was thirsty, and he has satisfied me, and he can satisfy you too. And I go, no, 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 but you don't understand. I've, I've done all this stuff. And I'm like, mm, no. Anyone who comes, my God has told me, anyone who comes can have this living water. What you're looking for, what you're trying to find satisfaction is, everything that is leaving you short, he can satisfy because he can forgive you for all of it. He laid down his life for that. So the question is, we have this knowledge now. We could all give the right answers. What we need to ask is that it would become a belief, not just head knowledge, and show up in our behavior. Okay, God. You say I'm a well. This living water is going to well up until eternal life. Help me dispense it. Father, we are humbled by Christ's love for this woman.
who by world standards was unlovable. But your love is enormous. You satisfied her thirst that she was trying to satisfy in, in empty cisterns and the things of the world. And Lord, many of us who don't know you are trying to do the same thing. And some of us who have come to Christ, we're still falling back into old habits. Help us to see the spiritual truth and reality that we have living water and it is welling up in us until eternal life and help us to allow that to happen and to give this living water away. It's not to be kept just for ourselves. Help us to talk to others about how you satisfied us and have forgiven us. For Christ's glory we pray, amen.